Lord God, wake us up to a worship for you now this fall. In the midst of all this struggle, may our worship not stop. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping both in person and online. Love being able to rally this church together and uh, just get fired up for him. Man, we're in a series called Light the Fire. Light the Fire. And we're talking about what it means to have our hearts personally excited about Jesus Christ, what it means to have our families excited about Jesus Christ, what it means to have our church excited about Jesus Christ. We're walking through the book of 1 Timothy, and each moment of each week, we're being challenged through the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, just letting him know what the church needs to be like and go after. And remember, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He was talking about the different pieces of the church, the message of the church, the hope and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then the members of the church, the different people within the church and all that's going on, and now the ministry of the church as he's closing out the book of 1 Timothy. And so as we dive in today, we're looking very specifically at one of the pieces of ministry, which is each of us individually in our pursuit of godliness, but more than our pursuit of godliness, are you ready for this word? for the word contentment. He actually uses that word, contentment. The best way that I can describe contentment is, imagine that you've just eaten this huge Thanksgiving turkey meal. Just imagine. And then you reach over and you have that piece of pie, whatever your pie is that you love. Maybe it's pumpkin, maybe it's pecan. Maybe it's uh, apple pie, whatever yours is, right? And you reach over and you have that piece of pie, that first piece of pie. I'm not talking about the second and third because then it goes beyond contentment. Now we feel sick, right? But like that contentment moment where you've had this great meal and you've now had this awesome piece of pie, you feel super just kind of relaxed and calmed and you've enjoyed the day and you've had some time with fam and like, that's just the beginnings of a little bit of the feeling of contentment. And he's like, just so you know, you can have that in your experience of godliness as well. Like a meal that is absolutely satisfying. So let's dive in today and learn a little bit about godliness and contentment. Now, he's going to give some really practical statements here, all right? So point number one, here we go. Point number one to godliness and contentment. Show your boss great respect. Show your boss great respect. Very practical statement. He's like, let's make sure we understand that we work anywhere from 40 to 60, 70 hours a week. Who knows how many hours you have going on and make sure that you show your boss deep respect in the middle of it. So we're starting out in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. He says, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants. So the yoke, that statement, that was what you attach to an ox or some kind of animal that was going to work in the field. And as it drove forward, that yoke was attached to something. It was pulling it along and it was doing the work. The yoke reflected the work to be done. And he's like, the yoke 
as bondservants. Now, some of your translations actually say the word slave there, and that's not a terrible translation as long as you understand it in context. This is not the same word as the word slavery like we would think of it maybe today, and we use that word. There's really two very distinct words, and we talked about this at the beginning of 1 Timothy, and there's two really different words for the word slave. That's why uh, the ESV uses the word bondservant to really make the distinction. This one is that Greek word doulos. It means the one where a person has had some kind of struggle, some kind of financial difficulty, whatever was going on, and they've made an agreement with the person they owed, and they said, hey, I will give you my time, I will give you my effort, I will give you my focus until I have paid this debt off. And they would end up working that out. Sometimes that would work out in a shorter period of time. Sometimes it was a very long or even a lifelong period of time where they're like, I'm becoming your employee for life to be able to pay this off. Bond servant. It was a commitment, a contract, if you will, between the two to get something paid off. Now, there's a very different word for the kind of slavery we think of where you go to another country and you take someone captive, you steal them away from their family and their loved ones, and you bring them to your place and you use their life for your own benefit. That kind of slavery spoken very ill of in scripture, it's a bad, pl- everybody say that's terrible. Right? That slavery is absolutely wrong. It's spoken ill of. In 1 Timothy 1, he speaks to it, and he uses a very different word there. In fact, the word used there is not doulos. The word there is a word that means um, this animal has man feet. It's speaking to this human being as a possession. And it's like, yeah, this one has man feet. My animal is a human being. I get my work done with people. And it's this stealing of a life. It's a horrible statement. It's absolutely spoken of uh, negatively in Scripture. So just so you know, two very different words. And that word, the one like this animal is my, this human being is my animal, my workhorse, if you will, that's a terrible one. But this one here, doulos, it's an agreed upon contract to work side by side. You're really becoming an employee with some agreement to pay off the debt. And he's like, just so you know, there's a yoke in being in that position, in that commitment. He's like, make sure you regard your own masters as worthy of all honor. Make sure you regard your master, the one who's in charge of the home or the one who's in charge of the business, the place where you've agreed to work under contract, make sure you regard them with all honor, worthy of all honor. Please note it does not say regard your masters as worthy of all honor only if they really are worthy. It doesn't say that. It says regard your boss as worthy of all honor. Treat them that way. So think of your boss right now. Ready? Just get that little picture in your mind of your boss. And now the next statement is worthy of all honor. I am going to treat them as worthy. That can be a huge calling depending on what your environment is like. But just know this calling is uh, make sure you let Jesus Christ impact your soul so that you can impact your boss's life. Okay? Huge calling. Regard your master as worthy of all honor. Let's just talk a little bit about how to do that. I just put a few words down about how to show some respect, how to show your boss that he's worthy. Uh, Maybe she is worthy, 
right? And the first one is your words or your tone. Your words or your tone. Like how you speak to them. Is it short? Is it curt? Is it judgmental? Is it, or are you supportive and encouraging? Are you listening well? Your words go a long way in showing respect towards your boss. Your words and your tone mean a lot. Uh, but the next one, obedience. Obedience, like actually doing what you're supposed to do. Like that's a really big deal. And I know for all the bosses in the room, thinking of the people that work for you, it's so much easier to have them working for you when they're actually working for you, right? When they're actually doing what you've asked them to do and they're getting accomplished what they're supposed to, obedience. And maybe here's the third one that goes along with it, with good effort, with good effort. Like be careful that your obedience is not sluggish obedience where you're kind of dragging your feet, you sort of wish that you didn't have to be there, you are spending your day burning as much of the time as you can. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Maybe just not very effectively, but you're doing what you're supposed to do and not that. Putting effort in along the way as well. Work heartily as to the Lord. Do everything for the glory of God. Making sure that when your boss thinks of you, they're like, I love having that person around. They are killing it for this company. They are killing it for me. They're super respectful along the way. And man, making sure your words, making sure your obedience, making sure your effort, and here's a big one, uh, your backbiting. Making sure your words when they're not in the room are the right words. Making sure that you're not participating at the water cooler with tearing down, but you're willing to support and lift up. Hey, I'm just telling you, this culture does not sell this. This culture says, stick it to the big man. Whoever's on top, make sure that they are punished. Blame them. Make sure that they get it all going their way poorly, right? And be careful that you don't get drawn into that, that you're not always seeing a way that you would have done it better. A lot of times, just bluntly, a lot of times, we don't know what our boss is struggling with and what things they're having to resolve behind the scenes. And may we understand that whatever they're asking us to do, that is my calling before God. With obedience, with strong effort, with great words, both with them in their presence and uh, when they're not there, no backbiting. It's a huge deal. I'm just gonna tell you, so right now I'm seeing smiles on some of your faces. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, this is kind of a harder spot for me. And uh, this is a tough culture in my environment, in my workplace. And really, this is a calling to be able to spend time throughout your day, throughout your week saying, Lord God, may you help my soul to impact my boss so that he can see I love you and I'm willing to love and respect him or her. Huge deal as you take care of your boss with respect, okay? He says, so that, purpose statement, why do it? So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Men, may we live what we're being taught. May you live out the love of Jesus Christ. And may the love of Jesus Christ that so rocks your soul now affect your boss's experience with you. May you truly work in a loving, obedient, hardworking fashion. And there is massive contentment that comes with it. You might be like, I don't know. I'm not sure that that would bring much contentment for me. I'm telling you, 
at the end of a day to be able to say, Lord God, I did exactly what you wanted, exactly the way you wanted. May they get truly encouraged because I know you, Lord Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, there is a contentment as you do what's right before the Lord. And let's be honest, it doesn't really bring contentment to just whine and complain about the workplace. It doesn't. We love to bring it home. We love to whine about it. And it just destroys along the way. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have been believing masters must not be disrespectful. If you have believing masters, don't be disrespectful. Now it looks like, it's not real clear, but it looks like Paul is actually addressing something going on in the church at Ephesus. It looks like there were a number of different bond servants. And it looks like there were a lot of times where the bond servants were like, yeah, but my boss knows Jesus Christ. And he's still a jerk. Now what? I think I can be a little bit of a jerk to the guy who's a jerk, can't I? And, uh, and Paul's like, Dude, that's not a good plan. And it doesn't matter how they treat you in that regard. Make sure that you're treating them with the way Christ is treating you. Don't revile back to them. Care for them with the care that Christ has given you. Your family and they might be making a mistake, but treat them as a brother or a sister. Treat them as someone you're gonna live with for eternity in heaven. Family, he says, rather they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Man, make sure you pour it on for your boss, especially if they're saved. Not being critical of how you think they should have done or spoken or organized or structured, but instead doing the work they call you to do with good, hard work. Ready? And all of God's people said. Yeah, that wasn't even close to loud enough to fill the room. And all of God's people said. Amen. Dude, this is a big calling. It's a huge deal. Gut check. Am I willing to love my boss? the way Jesus Christ is loving me. That's our call. He says, uh, make sure that you're honoring along the way. Make sure you're honoring both with truth and time and watching God do the work there. He says, teach and urge these things. And as the end of the verse there, teach and urge these things. Make sure that this is made clear to the whole church. Make sure that everyone is going after that. And not just this statement about the bosses, but actually all of the other five chapters of Timothy. Make sure all of these things are calling your people to a higher level of behavior. Man, don't just act the way the whole rest of the world would act. Make sure you bring something unique and fresh because you know the savior of the universe. You know the king of kings. And man, he can give you a toughness that will put up with some of those annoying moments that you wish were so different with your boss. May God get all the glory and all of God's people said. And this can be a super hard calling. And uh, you know, many of you know that I worked as an engineer for a number of years. And uh, 
17 years in the engineering field. I did a bunch of chip design, software programming. I worked in the tech field, loved doing it, had a blast doing it. Also loved doing ministry, and that ended up being our switch over as we transitioned out of engineering into the ministry. And so, uh, you know, I was just doing quick math. We have been in ministry now for 16 years. Next year, it will be the same amount of pastoring as it is engineering. Love that. Uh, when we started pastoring, my goal was, Lord, I would love to be able to be a pastor longer than I was an engineer. And uh, coming up on that next year, praise God for that. And, uh, but you know, as I worked as an engineer, there were a number of times where things would happen and you're like, I don't really agree with that. That's not the way I'd want to go. Um, but being able to work things through in a way that's respectful, uh, super important. I know one time uh, I'd been there a number of years, I don't even remember now, probably 12, 13 years at that time, and I was at a senior level of design work, and I was in charge of a group. There was about 30 or 40 engineers that I was in charge of, and we were kind of working through this design. And there was a new design that was starting up in another part of the business, and they needed a guy to do some chip design for them. It was very cutting edge. It was very, um, it would have been a great career extender. And so I wanted that job. I went for that. I interviewed for that job. I ended up being offered that job. They said, that's great. Now we just got to talk to your director. Let's get things worked out. And so they went back to talk to my director. And the next day, my director said, I would uh, like to go out to lunch with you. And I thought, okay, so this is going to be that awkward um, conversation where we have a little bit of talk about what went wrong here. And nothing really was going wrong. This was just a great privilege. And, and I'd done a number of years of service here. And so we went out to lunch and about two bites into the meal, he says, I want to let you know, I'm going to shut it down. I'm not going to let you move. Uh, I know you want to, and I know this would be great for your career, but I need you on this. And honestly, if one of my lead engineers walks away, then what happens to the rest of the guys? It starts falling apart. And so I'm going to hold you here. And I know that's not what you want to hear, but that's, that's the decision I have to make. And, and um, I was quiet for a bit. He said, I can tell you don't like this information. And I said, really? How can you tell? And he goes, you stopped eating, man. And uh, I'm like, okay, I, I'm trying to shove it down. I really was kind of sick to my stomach. I'm like, I can't believe this. I'm trapped into this group now. And, and at some level, I'm not being rewarded for the performance and whatever. So we went back to work. I talked to my wife. We talked about it. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go back to crushing it here. I'm trapped. Let's do it well. And I started cranking through the thing. And it turned out that a few of the, I won't go into some of the details, but we had some chip problems and they were broken. And we had to fix it with some changes on the board and some changes to code. And so there were some things that I had to figure out to get it working again. And after the second major collapse that I had to get working again, the director called me in his office and he goes, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He goes, what are you doing? That's twice now. This whole project would have been dead if you just let it die on that and you keep getting it up and running again. I said, well, I'm, do I'm doing my job. I I'm trying to work hard and make it be done well. And he goes, why? You could get out of here. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't believe in that. You put me here. You say you want me here. I... I believe there's a God in charge. And if he placed me here, then so be it. And I will work my hardest on this. You're going to get my best, man. I'm never pulling up short. He said, well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. It's really not what I expected. Thank you. And we talked it through. We ended up working through that project. Ready? One year later, whole telecom collapsed in the entirety of the U.S. And our company started to 
uh, get rid of people. And the first organization to go was that organization I would have moved into. Wholesale gone, all of them. My God protecting my job. And three to four years later, still at that company when 75% of the people had been let go, still had a job. My God protecting my job. Hear me, man. God has a bigger plan. He knows what's going on. And sometimes we can't even see it and it doesn't make sense. I will show respect. God will work mightily in that. Ready? And all of God's people said, it's a huge call. Let God lead. He knows what he's doing. So simple question. How are you doing at being respectful? How are you doing at working hard? How are you doing at making sure your best is put on the line every day so that your God gets all the glory? Make sure you're crushing it for your king. There is awesome contentment in that. All right. Point number two, pursue Christ with wholehearted commitment and a strong desire for unity. Pursue Christ with a wholehearted commitment and a strong desire for unity. We'll just jump back to the beginning here to that same statement. He says, teach and urge these things. He's like, man, make sure you get the word out. This is what needs to happen. Make sure you've got the right message. Make sure you've got your members on fire. Make sure the ministry of the church is going. Make sure the people are going after it, even with their bosses. Then he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, if anyone isn't following the words of Paul, if anyone isn't following the honoring of Jesus Christ, if they're trying to make it about themselves somehow, well, just know that's a major problem. If anyone isn't going after that teaching, if they don't agree in thought or in their teaching or in their actions, if they're showing that they don't agree, it says he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Paul being super direct. You disagree with what God is teaching. You disagree with who Jesus Christ is. You disagree with what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church. You're puffed up with conceit and you understand nothing. Just so you know, in the original language, this word puffed up with conceit, that's just not how I talk. Maybe you do. Maybe you're walking around the house and you're like, you're just so puffed up. Like, I don't, I don't talk that way. But just so you know, the original language word, it says this. Blind with your pride. That's what this word puffed up with conceit means. Blind with your own pride. You so think you are so awesome that you so can't see what anybody else is saying but yourself. Blind with your own pride. You're not getting it. Ultimately, you're a self-promoter. Your plan when you walk into every room is, listen to me. Listen to me. I got something to say. Right? That guy has a major problem going on. The listen to me guy doesn't get it. It says he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. This person is looking to make his or her mark in this world and they want people to know how awesome they are. Right? Walking in the room and being able to say, do you want to know what I think? 
If that's your first move in every room, just gently now, be careful. You are really drifting down a path that is all about self. He's like, don't go there. Man, if you're the guy that when somebody says something, you always respond with, well, yeah, but... And then you fill in your own perception as you counter them. If it's really hard for you to say, that is a great point. I agree with you on that. Like if that kills you, you probably want a little too much distinction in the room. Okay? Just a super practical moment. Make sure you're good at saying, I agree with that. That's an excellent point. And don't love the phrase, yeah, but. Trying to counter every single person you talk to so that they know you've got your moxie together. Be careful about that approach. He's like, just so you know, that yeah, but approach that I have to have it my way. Right? He says, well, it produces envy and dissension, slander and evil suspicion. Produces envy, meaning you want what they've got. You want the attention. You want the glory. Dissension. You're willing to cause disunity. You're willing to break everything up. Everybody form on me. I am going to hit you hard. Slander and evil suspicion. Once you start down the path of contradicting everybody, your mouth and your mind will follow. Just so you know that. When you start down the negativity path, your mouth will always voice out your disagreements first. Be careful with that along the way. He says it brings a constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Depraved of mind, deprived of the truth. I love the two D words there. Depraved of mind, like you don't have a moral compass that's getting what's right and wrong. Depraved of mind. Deprived of the truth. Like you're not understanding what scripture has to say. You're missing how God is working. There's a God in charge. He is absolutely over all. And there are times where he is asking us to do something that it feels like you're getting ripped off. Hang on. Just keep doing what God's asking you to do. Because he very well may be protecting you from a future disaster that you had no idea was coming. Honor your king. Honor the people around you. Make sure you really listen well. He says, constant friction among the people. The best way I can give an analogy to this, constant friction. For those of you who were in school a number of years ago, remember the blackboards? Right now you know where I'm going. Remember the kid who loved to go to the blackboard and put their fingernails on it? What was wrong with that kid, right? And just go and that squeaking sound that would just give you shivers down your back. And everybody's like, stop it. And that guy is the guy who's like, isn't it hilarious? What's wrong with that guy? He's like, that's who this guy is. This is the guy who's running to the front and like squeaking it out nastily. Here's what I love. For those of you who were in school like 30 years ago, every one of you is like this right now. You're like reliving something from like fourth grade. I can see it in your, right? It's horrible experience. Now it's the whiteboards, right? And so those squeak a little bit. Mine, I don't know why, it squeaks a lot more. So every time I write, my wife is like, stop writing. 
Like it just squeaks all the time, right? And just so you know, he's like, that is what it's like. When you're with someone who walks in the room and they're like, yeah, but. That's what it's like. Don't be that guy. Make sure that you're not the constant friction guy thinking selfishly all the time. He says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. How sad that their holy action was nothing more than manipulation. They were trying to dress up the outside, right? Eye service to make it look a certain way, just to manipulate those around them into thinking something about them or acting in a certain way. He's like, don't try to get from your godliness. Godliness is not to get. Godliness is to give. And that's the end of it. To give honor to Jesus Christ. To give respect to those around you. Godliness is about a give, not a get. Everybody just say, it's the give. Right? It's the give, not the get. Be careful with that. If your godliness is all about trying to earn something, you're missing it. You're coming up short. I'll just say it this way. Godliness is not a deposit for a later withdrawal. That is not appropriate. Godliness is not a deposit for a later withdrawal where you're trying to earn something from another human being to get their certain treatment of you later. Godliness is a straight up gift to God and an experience in the moment to be satisfied with who you are and with who your king is. And so he says right after that, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's the gain in itself. Godliness, acting like your God, following with your king, appreciating him, honoring him, godliness with contentment, well, that's the gain in itself. That's what it's all about. I'm going to do what's right no matter what it's costing me right now, because God is going to be honored and he may so choose to raise me up in due time, then that's his choice. He may be protecting me from something else. That's his choice. I will be godly and I'll be happy and content in it. Remember the word contentment from the beginning. My godliness before my king, it is my turkey dinner with that first piece of pie. It's the satisfaction. It's the absolute joy. The godliness with contentment. What an awesome privilege we have before our God to be right with him, to be right with others, and to sleep well on it. That's our privilege. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out. And... Uh, We've seen that before, right? That statement. We brought nothing in. We can't take anything out. The world sees it exactly the opposite. The world's like, he who has the most toys, ready, fill in the blank. He who has the most toys. Isn't that a sad bumper sticker? And they're running around trying to grab possession and make it all for self. And any sense of godliness is nothing more than just a way to achieve and gain and amass to self. And he's like, be careful. You came in with nothing and you're going out with nothing. And whatever it is you amass, it gets passed on down to other generations and it says that it's a, it gets eaten by moths and rusted out and, and these physical things in this physical world are short-lived. Be careful. And it's not to say that they don't have some value, 
Um, but be careful that we don't make it the everything. He says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. You heard Pastor Steve mention what's going on down in Haiti. And man, COVID shut down a church plant that was supposed to happen in March. And praise God, we were at least able to see that happen in November now. COVID slowed it down. And then on top of it, after that, then came all the mass riots going on down there. And I'm telling you, if you were to say to the average person in Haiti, you could have all the food and all the shelter and all the clothing you need, they would be like, is this heaven? That would be awesome. Like there is such a need. Now, first world problem, we're like, yeah, but it's just food and shelter and clothing. What about, and then we start filling in the blank with all the extras, and just so you know, that's a luxury to be thinking that way. And he's like, be careful that we're not recognizing the satisfaction that can come from the basic needs being covered. And uh, may God truly get all the glory as we live for him. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. Those who go after riches, those who love the wealth, who long to have that after their name, the amount that they now own. It can be distracting. It starts to become a very normal part of your checklist. I would love to have this paid off. I would love to have this owned outright. I would love to have enough cash to be able to protect. I would love to be able to provide for my kids in a way that there's nothing wrong with that. But all of a sudden we start getting into the amassing plan. And now it's like, I have to have, I have to, I have to have. And we start to amass that up. It's a trap. It's a distress. It's a problem. It's like, ready? Bear with this analogy. It's like a hole on the edge of a slope down in high grass. For those of you who know the story of me and my broken ribs, that's exactly what I tripped in four weeks ago. It was a little blind hole that I caught in like knee-high grass, didn't see it. And as my foot went in, I tried to save my ankle by pulling it out so that I didn't snap my ankle out in the woods. And that caused me to then have to roll and being as fragile of a human being as I am. <laughs> when I rolled and my uh, arm went underneath my ribs, it bruised all my front ribs and broke three back ribs, right? And uh, praise God for the healing process in our human bodies, miracle work. And so it's been four weeks now and I'm up and moving and doing okay as long as I have a little bit of extra strength, Tylenol, I'm doing okay. And, and uh, like, praise God for that. And I'm just telling you, he's like, watch out. Because it feels like it's no big deal, but I'm telling you it's a little hole at just the right precarious spot on the edge of a hill and you're going down. Watch the love of money and possessions. So appropriate to care for the needs of your home. Please be a good home maker, home caretaker. Do that. But don't get so caught up in that possession is what it ends up being all about. Make sure you're providing in a reasonable, caring way. He says it will plunge people into ruin and destruction. It will take you down into a pain of selfishness and a desire to have. And uh, the next verse here is probably the most misquoted verse in scripture. Maybe that's a little overstated, but it very well could be. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, the misquote is, for money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
That's not what it says. For the love of money. Like money actually can be very helpful. Money is something that does get utilized wisely and well, and it is able to cover some of our needs. In fact, I love the quote from the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Jimmy Stewart, when he's talking to this angel that's supposed to be helping him, and the angel's like, ah, the money, it's not that big a deal. And Jimmy Stewart's answer is, yeah, well, it comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Right? Money, it does have some value. But we have to be careful because if we lean on it too much, it can actually end up being a massive distraction, a hole that'll take you down a pit that is absolutely a snare. Be careful. And scripture says really clearly, Matthew 6, 24, you cannot love both God and money. Your love will be placed in one spot. Watch out. And the more you start to love the riches, the more it destroys the soul. Watch the love. He says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. In other words, they have shown that they are not. They have shown that they are not saved. They are not following Jesus Christ. This was all a game to get. Their godliness was a fake to have. Man, don't be caught in that. Don't be in the church today and be rolling in or getting online and saying, you know, hey, bottom line, I'm trying to make sure I have all of a sudden this fake faith gets torn down when we get frustrated or concerned or we long for something else. This craving shows they're wandering away. It says, and pierced themselves with many pangs, hungers and hurts that do not satisfy. There is a contentment that we can have in this world and it is by serving our savior, Jesus Christ. It is by showing a respect to humanity in all that we do with humility, with honor, with care. No amassing to self, making it about Jesus Christ. May God get all the glory. Contentment. Everybody just say contentment. We can have it even in this broken world. It comes by worshiping our King and giving it all to Him. Everybody just say it's all His. That's the secret to pursuing godliness with contentment. Let's pray.